Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone. This Friday is Black Friday, traditionally the busiest shopping day of the year. And we are, for the third year in a row, doing our Black Friday parking event. We're trying to demonstrate to everybody how parking minimums not only destroy the tax base of a city, not only limit the opportunity that is provided to people within neighborhoods and communities, but also is just a massive frivolous waste of resources. You can do your part when you're out on Black Friday. Stop and take a picture of your parking lot. Share it. Share it on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. And when you share it, use the hashtag Black Friday Parking. Do those three things and we can change the conversation about parking in this country. Thanks, everybody. You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Everybody, this is Chuck Marone. I have on the line from Asheville, North Carolina, my good friend Joe Minicozzi with Urban Three. Hey, Joe, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Chuck, thanks for having me. You not only have done work in Asheville looking at this issue, but you've done these models that you become pretty famous for all over the country, looking at the financial productivity of cities and. It seems to me like parking is one of those variables that stands out. Can you talk a little bit about how parking affects the results that you guys see when you when you do those models? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's kind of simple, really. It's when we do our productivity models, we're basically reflecting the economic potency of different land use patterns or like what's what's producing taxes basically. What's interesting, if you think about it, what produces taxes is what produces value. So when you put a brick on top of another brick, you're making a building, right? Each of those bricks costs money and ultimately has an overall value. Um, You usually see that when somebody buys something, you're essentially buying the value of that building. Well, the tax assessor is following behind that and assessing that in the marketplace and starting at that value. So obviously the opposite is true. If you don't build anything... There's no value there. So when the assessor goes out to a parking lot, they just see a sheet of asphalt, and they're like, well, it's asphalt. It is what it is. So therefore, it gets a lower value. So, you know, you could look at it in a standpoint and say, you know, we did the Lafayette project with you, and we talked about the cost of all of those roads. You do this in strong towns and talk about the cost of the infrastructure. So you still have all that infrastructure running by the property, but no money coming out of it because it's just a parking lot. It's low value. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I, it's fascinating because one of the things that I've seen that I really wasn't aware of until I started looking at the models you have done is just the huge drag that parking lots are on value. I realize that this is radio, and in a sense, you can't communicate the way visually those kind of stunning graphics do. But can you just describe a little bit, when we step back and look at a model of a city, and we see these spikes, you know, where you've got all this tremendous amounts of value. What do we see in those areas where you've got the the parking lots and even the parking ramps where you've got the, the large investments? They're usually flat, uh, although the parking ramps, you'll find you'll find more value. Like in the case of Des Moines, a surface lot in downtown is averaging um, about $900,000 of value per acre 
where like a parking structure is six million. So that's what six times right, the potency. Right. And the model, the spike would be six times taller for the parking structure versus the surface parking lot. And the thing is, though, is, is this is for downtown real estate. So you go further and further away from the city, there's, again, another discount in the value of that land. So that same acre of surface parking, if it were out in the burbs, it'd be even less value. So even though there's more infrastructure to get out there to get there. So it's just a really weird perversity inside our tax system of how the American tax system is built up on value, which is kind of weird. But that's, you know, it's the reality of what we're living in, and it's something that needs to be on the table to be discussed. I want to ask you about the assessors, because you, you and I have gone to the assessors conference together, and then and you went once by yourself just because you loved it so much. These people, uh, when they go out and look at properties, they're essentially following, I don't want to call it a voodoo kind of science approach. I mean, they, they have kind of a method to their madness, but can you talk just a little bit about how assessors go out and, and do their job and how they would look at a property that, that is a parking lot versus something else? I mean, they're totally agnostic. They're going out and saying, what is it and what would somebody buy it for in the marketplace? So if they've just looked at a surface parking lot, they generally say, what does a surface parking lot go for in the same zoning categories? And there's all this other math that they have to apply to it that makes it fair in the marketplace. And if you think about, you know, the, the people who are actually doing transactions in the marketplace, particularly for real estate, there's a million variables built into it that they have to try to account for. Because you get some people that pay way too much for something and some people that end up getting an incredible deal that no one will ever have, that they ended up buying an acre of land for a dollar or something. And they have to try to find some path through it. And I think one of the most brilliant things I've I've heard you say is is and, and you you joked one time you're like I need to, I need to make T-shirts that say the standard made me do it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, and you use that when in talking about transportation engineering, it, but the same is true with with assessment, and it's the same is true with planning. You know, you get you get folks that get into their own silo, and they operate very well within their bureaucracy, but they don't see the effect outside of the bureaucracy. And that's kind of what I, what I see. So it's it's not that the assessors are inherently flawed. It's just that that's their practice. They have standards and they follow it. And they don't question the, the standards that they built around themselves. What is the Georgist approach and the land tax? How would a Georgist approach treat parking differently than what we generally well, the, do today? The Georgist approach or, or land value taxation is you basically tax based on location and the potential of the property. So you don't worry about what's on the property. To think of it really simply, if I had two buildings on Main Street, most of the value is in that building because that's where we put the value is all the bricks and glass and wood and stuff like that. So if I were to remove one of the buildings, I remove the value. There's two values in your real estate. There's dirt value, the value of the land, and there's the value of the building. But if any if anybody listening to this podcast, if you were to just go out and pull your property tax, you'd see two numbers in there, your, your land and your building. Henry George just said, let's just get rid of the building altogether. What they were dealing with, and you know, ironically enough, we're, we're, we're all going through this right now in the current marketplace where there's a lot of land speculation. There's plenty of people who want to build in, let's say, downtown Asheville, but there's not a lot of land in the marketplace, so it's driving up the cost of the land. And some people could just wait it out and sell their land 25 years from now, and they're paying low taxes because they just have a surface parking lot. Um, Henry George was looking at this in the 1800s going, well, this is crazy. Why should 
somebody be allowed to speculate and on top of that be rewarded for the speculation when we, the community, built all of this infrastructure at their front door. It started this movement called Georgism. There, there are certain states that have it enabled to use it. I think Pennsylvania is one of them. Pittsburgh adopted Georgia's principles in the 70s. And it's one of the reasons why Pittsburgh maintained its downtown and not a lot of buildings got knocked down. Because if you knock your building down, they're still going to charge you the taxes as if you were a building. Right. Um, so it's not about being being a surface parking lot. That's sure. one of those points that you've made that I've heard you make that is really quite an insightful one. You know, with the property tax system, when you're sitting on the vacant building, you're just paying a lot of taxes. But when you rip it down and you go to just a surface parking lot, now you've got a revenue stream, but you don't have a lot of taxes, right? Yeah, yeah. It creates yeah, this I, incentive, doesn't it? Well, it does. And like uh, Josh McCarty and I were in Buffalo. We did a project in Buffalo for the CNU or during the CNU there. We just went up to one of the surface parking lots that was right next to one of the downtown's train stations. And we talked with the, the women that were um, managing it. And so, you know, here you have the ticket takers getting people as they go in the park. And we asked them, what does it cost to park there? Any of your members could do this. We We just basically did the math on, okay, well, we counted the parking spaces. Actually, we, we just, I think we just asked the women, we said, how many cars can park here? And she's like, oh, about 110. And so we just looked at the site. We're like, all right, it's, it's, it's full right now. And we know what they're being charged. So then we can multiply that times, you know, eight hours a day, times five days a week, times, let's say, 50 weeks. And let's just assume that they're not full all the time. And let's hit that at like 80% occupancy but then you know they're going to have event parking because there's a baseball stadium right there and that's used let's say 20 times a year and it's filled up the lot at five dollars a parking space what's the end number and so we got this number and i can't remember what it was. I, I wish i'd cut this but you know josh and i just for fun got that number and then we went and looked at the tax bill and that number was like three times the annual tax bill <laughs> right so if if i'm the property owner and i'm making three times my tax bill on my revenue and what does it cost me to have somebody at minimum wage standing there eight hours a day throughout the year? Am I, am I making my money back? And it was real, it was a real simple, easy math. And it was like, wow, they're, they're actually making plenty of parking to cover their cost of taxes. Yeah. So it's cash you know, flows it, it, nicely. Yeah, it does cash flow nicely. And it, you know, actually you, one of your podcasts, um, you can post this for your viewers. You, you did a great whiteboard walkthrough and I think you were explaining it to Justin. It's it's one of your videos on Strong Towns that I've actually passed on to people. You really you really capture this when you explain land value taxation. Um, one of the things that I like to show is Elizabeth Maggie Phillips, who was a Georgist, and so she was into this in the 1800s, and she was trying to teach people about Georgism. And one of the things that she realized is that she just was like, "All right, I can't can't convince adults." about this. So I'm just going to work with kids and invent a game. So she invented a game to teach us all land value taxation. And that game is Monopoly. Right. And if you think about Monopoly, the, le- the lessons are land assembly is key. Location is super, super important. But when you put buildings on it, you win the game. Yeah. And somehow as adults, we seem to have forgotten that. It seems when I look at your work, that there's two kind of just coarse conclusions that come out. Now there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of refinement, but if, if we just looked at like a 30,000 foot level, this seems like there's two conclusions. Conclusion number one, whenever you stack stories on top of each other, your city does better financially. 
And conclusion number two, whenever you build large parking lots, your city's going to struggle financially. Is that a fair kind of, you know, back of the envelope summary of a lot of the findings you've seen around the country? You make it so simple, Chuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's probably a yes, but, you know, it's like, you don't feel the pain of all those surface parking lots, but the end result, yeah, you're right. But those, those parking lots, you don't immediately feel the pain. And it's, it's just because it's the accrual of so little money over time that it, it catches up to you once your infrastructure comes to, you know, we did a project in Des Moines and, you know, we noticed that there were a lot of surface parking lots, not in the core of Des Moines, but, but in and around the CBD. Now the, the hard part with the CBD or central business district is, is that oftentimes those boundaries are arbitrary, but just for the sake of it, we just did a quick measure and 20% of the land in that CBD boundary was surface parking. You know, there was a there's a video going around of of Don Shoup talking about space used for for cars, and he kind of cites a similar analysis. So just for the sake of it, we're just you know uh, Josh McCarty in our office took that same boundary file and floated it over West Des Moines in the suburban area to say, okay, if we take the same boundary file, how much of the suburbs and the commercial area of what should have been a downtown out there in West Des Moines, how much of that area is in surface parking lot? And we, we thought it'd be more, but it was actually about 25%, which is still a lot. Yeah. So when you, when you get into the, the tighter core of where all those commercial, because that grabs some single family um, housing and stuff like that. If you just get into the commercial core of that area, it's somewhere around, I'd say about like, let's say two thirds of the land is surface parking lot. So basically two thirds of the land is consumed in something of, of little or no value. Right, and then on top of that, I think the average value out there was about seven hundred thousand, while in the downtown was about three million. So, so it's just so much less value, so much less productive um, on a per acre basis. So, you know, if you add it up, it just doesn't make sense. You guys have gone in Asheville from being a place with probably more parking than they need to a place where you know parking is rather more scarce. I'm sure there's people there that complain that there's not enough parking, yet it's one of the most vibrant, productive, you know, desirable places to live in the country. How do you make that transition? How do you go from being a place that needs to get people to drive in and park in order to be successful to one that is just successful in and of its own? That, that's probably like a two-hour podcast, but if you, if you had to describe that transition, yeah. how, how would you describe it? Well, Asheville had the benefit, you know, it's kind of a really weird silver lining. And when we collapsed, we collapsed really hard and we somehow dodged the bullet. Well, actually, it's it's a longer story about how we dodged the bullet on urban renewal. So when the 90s came around, we essentially, or late 80s, we essentially had all these derelict boarded up buildings in this downtown. We had a high density of them for a city our size. And so the city adopted a essentially an urban strategy you know, built off the main street principles of, you know, start with downtown management, fix some streets, you know, stuff like that. And they also took the lead on streetscape improvement, making making space in place in downtown. The other thing they realized is their zoning code was essentially punitive on architecture, that the only way somebody could occupy a building is if they knocked the next building down and made parking. So they're like, that's kind of stupid. So they changed their zoning policy, 
And then they also went on to a more of a thinking about downtown in a holistic um, sense that could we do strategic parking that would work as a park once strategy so that when someone comes to downtown, they park once and do most of their trips on foot. People that live here and got used to that system, we don't we don't get in our cars once we're downtown. You just leave it there because it's too inconvenient to drive it around, and it also makes sense. So it actually works out. But you know, it wasn't it wasn't easy. Frequently, I show the campaign ads from back then with some of our you know people that actually got in the office, thinking it was a boondoggle and it was a waste of money to invest in downtown, and this is just subsidizing downtown landowners. But, the, you know, the city made those sacrifices to get a return on investment. So for that $26 million in parking and streetscape projects that they, they did in the early 90s, eventually those buildings got filled up and that returned about $400 million of private investment into the community. So I, you know, asked the obvious question, is it worth investing $26 million to yield a $400 million return? I think that's a good ROI, right? You know, so and that's that's the thing. It, it's 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 not to say you know don't do it. It's just say if you do it, do it well and do it in a way that you can actually leverage that return, and and also have a strategy about it. So the, you know, the city now lo- now looks at parking as a way to basically catalyze other developments and get more density to happen. And the great thing about a city deck versus a private deck is that. In a private deck, that parking space stays anchored to the tenant that's in the building. So if if I build a building as a developer, as an apartment building, and I put parking in it, I'm putting a big reserve sign on that parking, and only my guy is going to be in that space. What's beautiful about if the city does it, the city sells that space again when that person leaves there to go out hiking or right. go to work or whatever, you know, whatever whatever that person does. Yeah. And it's not to say, you know, this isn't, a, this isn't to say like, hey, everybody go out and build parking structures. I'm not saying that. It's just be smart about it and kind of understand how it's, how it's useful for infrastructure. But you're also taking on a liability when you do that. You better ensure that you're getting the density to cover the cost. I will say this, since you, the, the, when, the way that you started the question about parking and inconvenience and stuff like that. Yeah. I was presenting in Belmont, North Carolina. And one of the counselors there who was fairly conservative and he was very skeptical of our presentation and our data that we had done for the community. And he actually showed up at two of my presentations in the evening presentation. He kind of grilled me on how difficult it is to park in Asheville. And I was kind of offended. I was like, seriously, what you think we should build more parking garages? And he's like, yeah, there's just not enough parking in Asheville. I'm like, did you have a problem finding parking in Asheville? He's like, well, it, it took a little bit, but we eventually found it. And I said, and he's like, but it was two blocks away. And I said, oh, you poor thing. <laughs> and I was like, you had to walk two blocks. Uh, and and he just got, he got mad at me. He made this look. And I said, did I just offend you? And he's like, well, yeah. And I said, well, you've offended me because you're essentially implying that my community should build parking structures for you and Charlotte to come up to my community so that you have it easy. I said, why should I subsidize that? Right. It's kind of crazy. Right. And it was just kind of funny. Like people have biases and they fail to bring their biases into the conversation. They make them assumptions of scientific fact or something that somehow because parking, you know, go to Charlotte, fine. There's parking everywhere. We're not doing that in Nashville. And Asheville's yeah, one of the, like, one of the top tourist destinations in the country. 
because of it, really. Yeah, actually, it is. It's Farmers Magazine is listed us as the number one place in the country to visit. We had 10 million tourists a year that came through this year alone, or 9 million, or something crazy. We're only, we're only 90,000 people. So, you know, it's kind of insane. Well, Joe, when I come back, I expect to be able to park right in front of that belt buckle place <laughs> we went to last time. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll make that happen for you. I'll put some cones out in the parking space so you got your uh, your space. We'll put a little red carpet from from there to the belt buckle place. I bet they've got parking out at that Walmart though. Oh, they do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where was I doing numbers on that? I was just talking with somebody about that today. But um, yeah, we did it. We did analysis on Main Street and Durango versus versus Walmart in Durango. Since I had you on the phone, yeah, we're making a website about that. We also pulled the retail taxes. So we're fortunate enough to have the owner of Maria's Bookstore and Durango Coffee Shop in downtown, and they're part of the downtown business cluster. They essentially opened their their books to us to analyze them, and then we, we grabbed Walmart. But we unfortunately, we can't grab their actual data. We could take their average Walmart stores listed in their annual report. You know, it's hard to say this. It's easier to see the graphic, but... For the businesses, the downtown businesses, they're producing about twenty-two thousand. Let's say let's say twenty-three thousand dollars an acre in county taxes per acre. Yeah. Walmart's producing about two thousand. Yeah. In retail taxes, so again, these are both one-story boxes, one-story buildings on Main Street versus one-story Walmart. The retail taxes per acre are about one hundred and fifty-two thousand an acre for Walmart, and five hundred and fifty-six thousand per acre for Main Street. Wow. So that's four times the potency in those stores. And then jobs per acre, the Main Street stuff is 230 jobs per acre versus 15 at Walmart. But, you know, the data is there. We just have to do the math on it. It's not to say that, you know, I'm not anti-Walmart. I just, Walmart's basically smart. They figured out how to maximize their return. So it's up to the communities to do the math and see if it works for them. Right. Maximize the community's return. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. We, we've got this Black Friday parking thing coming up at the end of the week and are really excited about, about getting people out and, and helping to change the conversation on parking. And your math is certainly a big part of that. So thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, thank you. And the, yeah, the, the Black Friday project is super, super important math for everybody to have. So thanks to all of this, all the members that are out there counting and in measuring, because this is important work. You can uh, find Joe's stuff online at urban-3, that's three spelled out, T-H-R-E-E dot com. Hopefully, Joe will be speaking in a community near you soon. He's uh, He is everywhere. He's the only guy I know that has a busier schedule than me. So thanks for taking the time, Joe. Thank you, sir. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Make sure you get out this Friday and take your photos, share them online, Put the hashtag Black Friday Parking on them, and we'll help change this parking conversation. Take care. Keep doing what you can to build strong towns. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story.
Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Oh, Magnet City! I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit Agenda 21. Yeah.